Get ready for the battle of the century. In this corner, experience, determination, and guts. And in this corner... Get it! We're gonna nail those turkeys! His mommy... Go ahead. Make your bed. Mom! Oh, please, you don't have anything you haven't seen before. Please make her stop! Is he adorable? Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Estelle Getty. Stop! Or my mom will shoot! Rated PG-13. Starts Friday, February 21st at theaters everywhere. Hello and welcome to Slycast, the Sylvester Stallone fan podcast. The podcast where we celebrate and analyze the career of Sylvester Stallone. I'm Craig Cohen and as always I have with me Jeff Ferry. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. <laughs> Mike Kunda. There is no quotable lines from this movie. <laughs> And a very special guest and fan of the movie we're going to be talking about, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, from the Save by the Podcast, the premier Save by the Bell podcast, Captain Marvelous. No, my son and I both think you're not an a-hole. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff Hewlett was seated and ready to go with us, but he is celebrating a birthday this weekend, and he was pulled away for a surprise birthday party. So we just want to send uh, Jeff um, some birthday wishes. Happy birthday, buddy. Um, you are an integral part of the, uh, the Slycast, and we will be talking to you at the end of the episode. Happy birthday. All right, so we are now in November, and this is, I guess, what we can only deem Creed Month. Now, Mike, there's an exciting uh, documentary, or at least a documentary that seems like has the potential to be really exciting, on epics called From Rocky to Creed, correct? Yeah, um, that's uh, supposedly going to be, in, I believe, the first or the second week of November that's going to be available, and you can go on uh, uh, epics, I think is what it's called, right? Yes. Yeah, and I believe they have like these free trials for like 30 days. So if you don't want to join, just go and watch it for the Creed, uh, this uh, documentary they're doing. And it sounds like they got Carl Weathers to uh, make an appearance on it, which is very cool. Oh, wow. Very neat. So we'll be keeping an eye out for that and we'll be posting any, any updates about it over on the, uh, Slycast Twitter and Facebook accounts just as we get more information. And Mike, you also have your own documentary that's been in the works. Can you give us a little update on that? Yeah, I sure can. Um, a, a guy by the name of Jim Toscano, who I met on the set of Rocky Balboa um, back in 06. He was uh, going to film school then. He's been following what I've been doing with the book and the gigs and the tours, and he thought, boy, there might be an interesting story here. So he's been following me probably for the last three or four years and developing this documentary of what it takes to be a Rocky Balboa impersonator and what it what it might be like and it turns out uh <laughs> there's there's something there so we've got uh, Larry Holmes we've got uh the real Rocky Mr. Chuck Webner uh, who sat down with us we interviewed them and they kind of talk about what what I do and uh talk to a lot of people who've taken the tour in their perspective and uh, we we wrapped finish uh wrapped filming yesterday so uh, there's just a little bit of editing left to be done, a little bit of music, and he's going to enter it in some film festivals. And it looks like uh, either Showtime or Netflix may uh, be interested. So fingers crossed. Oh, wow. That is so exciting, Mike. We can't wait to uh, see the finished product and um, and talk about it. 
Yeah, I've seen this. He sent me the trailer, and I'm going to put the trailer out soon, as soon as he okays it. And it's, I got to admit, at the sound of, at the risk of sounding very egotistical, it's pretty cool. I got to say. That's awesome. Well, um, we've talked about your story before and, uh, you know, the story as told in your book, Cue the Rocky Music. And it's an amazing story. And I can only imagine how great this documentary will be. Well, worst case scenario, I'll end up a paperweight on someone's desk. So either way, it's a win-win. I mean, a buck a DVD for a paperweight, come on, that's a steal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Captain Marvelous, I know um, me and you go way back in the podcasting world. Um, you on your original OTR podcast that we um, that I was a guest on a couple times when I was co-hosting Camel Clutch Cinema. And when we started up the Slycast, I know you touched base with me about coming on for Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Now, before we jump into Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, I know you also have sort of a unique perspective on Creed and the whole promotional push that's been going on there. And you actually had um, an interesting offline discussion with me about why some audiences weren't connecting, um, at least in my opinion, with the trailer when it played in, in theaters. Do you want to share that experience? Yeah. So you guys, when you talked about the trailer, you mentioned that some of the audience reaction was uh, less than enthusiastic. Especially, you know, what you guys thought, you know, you were excited about Rocky and the crowd was just kind of sitting there. Yeah. I forget what movie it played with, but the trailer came on. I knew it was Creed. And, you know, the person I was with, they didn't seem very excited about it. And when I asked her why, she said it because it just looked like every generic sports movie with the underdog just winning at the end. And she didn't realize that that really Rocky. She thought it was just Sylvester Stallone in another role. Okay. And I kind of put the blame on that to the people on the trailer that there wasn't really that much Rocky imagery or even audio-wise. They, they didn't really play any clips like Gonna Fly Now mm-hmm. or, or really show much that you would say, hey, that's Rocky, other than the hat. But, you know, they've done a lot better. I've seen commercial spots on TV where they're actually showing the, the American flag trunks they show more of Sylvester Stallone. So I think they're, they are improving that, but I just wanted to, to say that to you that I think that's, that's one of the reasons why many people weren't that excited about it because they didn't really realize this is like part of the Rocky universe. It's kind of just, uh, hey, maybe it's just another boxer movie, you know? Sure, and and um, I I really appreciate that um, that perspective because here on the Slycast we tend to get a little too focused on uh, the minutia, if you will, of Sly's career. Um, but the other thing you mentioned that I think is really interesting is I I think it, it's funny now that you know forty some odd years uh, you know removed or or coming up on forty years removed from the original Rocky that there are people that don't understand that this movie really set the template for a lot of movies that followed. Mike, do you have a, any perspective on that that you'd like to share? Yeah, I'll make it just real short. You know, they've Stallone said last year, it's so very vital and important that the public uh, remember, remembers to look at this as Creed 1, not Rocky 7. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, we all get the fact that the big moneymaker here is 
bringing Rocky back yet again, fighting the greatest fight of his life. So, okay, we get that. And, um, you know, will the American public care, uh, the world really care about Apollo Creed's illegitimate son? I guess we're going to find out. Yeah. So I know next month when we sit down for for our next episode, Creed will have have come out in theaters already, and I'm sure um, the uh, social media universe will be will be a buzz. But we will make sure to 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 give our feelings on it. Not a not a complete rundown of the movie, but I'm sure we'll in the introduction, uh, you know, uh, pop the hood a little bit and kick the tires. Um, Jeff Ferry, anything you want to add regarding the promotional push um, for Creed? And, um, the thoughts that Captain shared. Yeah, I, I'm definitely on board with the first trailer or two that came out were very heavy on Creed and were very, they were more generic. Like the one trailer only had, you had like 20, 30 seconds of Rocky. And I have seen some of the TV spots now where they're showing the red, white, blue trunks. They're showing the picture. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if two weeks out, which is about two weeks from now, you, have a maybe one last TV spot that's got Gotta Fly now in it, or you see... I mean, they do show him running, like, through Philly. That was, like, the last trail I see where you see him really running through there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand what they're doing. I, I was trying to... I was racking my brain to think, is there another movie franchise... I can only think of one that has tried this, where they're like, we have an established character, and we're going to try to push it off to the next person. Mm-hmm. The only one I can remember trying it was Indiana Jones. And the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, yeah. And it blew up right in their face. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's not like a James Bond where it's like it's just another guy. It's like mm-hmm. they're really trying to continue the story along. Yeah, it, it really is a unique situation. And I, I can imagine that the marketing for, for any movie is difficult. But uh, I I'd really imagine that this Creed presented a unique set of challenges for for the marketing team and there were probably so many different ways you could go about it and uh it's really interesting to see how a movie is marketed um and ultimately that's really going to impact unfortunately how well a movie does all right so we are actually here to talk about um whether we like it or not stop or my mom will shoot from 1992 and as always, um, since, you know, uh, we've been doing the slidecast, and especially since Mike joined the show, Mike, can you sort of give us um, your perspective on what was going on in uh, late February 92 when this movie came out and, um, and your experience seeing it? You know, for me, it was crazy. I was working three jobs at the time, uh, you know, just trying to pay the rent, and it, at times like that, you always like these little escape movies. So I knew Stop or My Mama Shoot was not going to be a great movie, but I thought it could be a fun, uh, I don't know, getaway from the daily grind. And uh, more wrong, I could not have been. <laughs> <laughs> now, was there any um, thoughts going on in your head regarding the fact that this was the second comedy uh, in a row that Sly was doing? You know I was not mature enough at the time to give him the credit that he deserved for taking this shot. So then I have to follow that up by saying this was basically a paycheck for Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> there, I don't know how much of, uh, you know, a set of cojones Sylvester had by doing this. You know, as we've learned, as I believe you've posted, mm-hmm. you know, Sly took this because Arnold was uh, conning him to take it. Yeah, 
real quick to uh, to talk about that. He was yeah. on the Jimmy Fallon show recently, and the direct quote from Stallone was, "An agent or a manager told you, I'm telling you, if you don't do Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, he's in, meaning Schwarzenegger." And he also said that um, that could also be said of Rhinestone, which I find a little dubious. Yeah, but see, I will take Rhinestone a hundred times over <laughs> Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Yeah. I I can tell you with complete pride, I love Rhinestone. Not so much on Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Yeah, yeah. Now, Jeff Ferry, um, what was your Stop or My Mom Will Shoot experience like? Well, I did see this in the theater. <laughs> because this this was a time in my life when I saw every movie in the theater. <laughs> every two weeks, me and my dad went to the movies. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter what was out. My basic feeling on this movie is I did not hate this movie. I did not hate this movie. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't go so far as to say I liked it. But the time passed. There was a couple chuckles in there. And the 90 minutes went by, and it felt like 90 minutes, unlike when we watched Oscar, and the 90 minutes felt like me jumping off a bridge. <laughs> I would take Stop or My Mom Will Shoot over Oscar any day of the week and twice on Sundays. <laughs> wow, I did not expect that. All right. So we will get more into our thoughts on Stop or My Mom Will Shoot uh, once we get into the uh, the deep discussion. Now, Captain Marvelous, I know that you have uh, certain feelings about this movie. Do you want to sort of share your initial Stop or My Mom Will Shoot experience? Yeah, so you said I was a fan of this. I think that's pushing it a little <laughs> far. <laughs> My experience with this is, I didn't see this in theaters, but I remember when I was a kid, I saw this at the video store, and I thought the title was the most hilarious thing I had ever heard. So for years, I wanted to watch it just based on that title. Yeah. Then I got to see it, and it was just as hilarious as the title. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I have a similar experience to you, Captain. I did not see this in theaters, um, but did catch catch it on uh, probably pay TV, and... um, appreciated again the the fact that sly was was doing something a, a little different now um as mentioned this movie came out on february 21st 1992 running time of 87 minutes and um surprisingly it wasn't a box office flop at the end of the day on a budget of 45 million it ended up making 70 million uh worldwide now a majority of that was uh the foreign box office which is accounts for over 42 million of that box office take. But it goes to show that even as far back as 1992, Stallone's foreign muscle was, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, was very developed. Mike, do you want to maybe explore that idea of, of the fact that the foreign market has really sort of sustained Sly in some of those lean years? Absolutely. Without a doubt, nail on the head. Uh, Four markets have been his saving grace, his angel on his shoulder. However, in this case, this movie, I will tell you, it was the Golden Girls that saved this movie. (laughs) All Estelle Getty's fans went to see this. All those retirees in uh, mid-Florida, they were the ones who saved this movie. Yeah. 
Yeah. So this uh, this movie has an interesting sort of, I guess, pedigree behind it. It's produced by Ivan Reitman and directed by Roger Spottiswood, who I really know from the James Bond movie, Tomorrow Never Dies, but he also um, directed some uh, some comedies like The Best of Times and Turner and Hooch, uh, Air America, and also wrote 48 Hours. So uh, interesting uh, director um, there. He's definitely got an interesting career, um, and he's also worked as an editor. So um, very neat. And the film itself was actually written by three gentlemen. The first is Blake Snyder, who is really, uh, I think, most known for a screenwriting manual, believe it or not, called Save the Cat, which is subtitled The Last Book on Screenwriting You'll Ever Need. You could sort of, I guess, laugh at the fact that the guy that wrote Stop or My Mom Will Shoot would write a book on screenwriting, but it is currently in its 23rd printing. And uh, Snyder is also really known for being really successful at at selling spec scripts, which are, I guess, scripts that the, the studios didn't ask for that are just submitted, and then the studios decide to buy them. Stop or My Mom Will Shoot was purchased for $500,000 in a bidding war, and he went on to sell 12 more original screenplays, and he has been named one of Hollywood's most successful spec screenwriters. Hmm. He also wrote the film Blank Check. And um, unfortunately, he passed away in 2009. Two other screenwriters on the film were the screenwriting duo of William Osborne and William Davies. And I think they're probably most well-known for the Arnold Schwarzenegger-Danny DeVito comedy, Twins, so we have a little bit of a Schwarzenegger connection there. So I think with all the the behind-the-scenes stuff talked about... Oh, actually, there's one more thing I do want to talk about, and normally we sort of wait until we get into the body of this, but the the score is by Alan Silvestri, a very accomplished composer who I, I think I know really for Back to the Future... Jeff Ferry, do you want to share any of your impressions on the the score for this film? Because I know you normally don't um, take too much note of these. Um, actually, I did note it a little bit. What made me note it was the same thing as you. I called his name at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And from my love of Back to the Future, that name popped to me. Yeah. And um, I thought his score, it fit the movie really well. Like, it went with it. It wasn't too bombastic. It wasn't out of place. It was just there. I hope they paid him $30 million. I'm still trying to figure out what the $45 million budget went. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there must be some mafia involvement, some Teamster problems, because there's not $45 million on that screen that you're watching. Sure there is. It's Sylvester Stallone's wallet. Exactly. It was $35 million that he got paid. (laughs) Exactly. I'm not sure what Sly was paid for this movie, but this was really at the height of his... Um, I guess his asking price. Um, the one thing I liked about the score, um, and I, I'm not going to say I'm a fan of the score, but I appreciate what Silvestri t- tried to do here in the fact that during all of the Estelle Getty scenes or the scenes with, with Sly and Estelle Getty, you've got this sort of almost like Woody Allen-ish type score, which really sets the tone for those scenes. But then he was also able to do those really sort of um, more Back to the Future style hits during the action scenes. Now, Mike, is there anything you want to talk about in regards to the score? 
Yeah, the score was cute. I'll give it that. And it reminded me of the music they play on This Old House. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen that, it, it kind of reminds me as they're walking around the property or they're kind of showing what, what could potentially be done with a really crappy house and make it good. It, I thought it was very poetic that they played that music in this movie. <laughs> Captain, any thoughts or feelings on the uh, the score? Yeah, it's very, um, I don't want to say cartoony. It's like a, like, it just stuck out to me kind of like a, cartoon or a sitcom in between type music Mm -hmm. not very movie like actually yeah no i would agree with you there like i said i think the the scenes between sly and estelle getty um they really um the score the score really frames it yeah and they keep reusing that i guess we would be considered a theme song (laughs) yes they keep playing that over and over so even if you're not paying attention you hear that music so you know something hilarious is about to go down yeah, yeah. Now, um, one thing that I found interesting about this movie, um, as we jump into it now, is it starts off with, I guess, what you could consider your standard action movie setup, but you've got these little hints of comedy where Sly's using a little bit more of the one-liners, and there's a little bit more comedy involved, like his partner having the uh, the shard of glass in his butt. And uh, this is really the, the scene where we're introduced to the character of Sergeant Joseph Joe Bamowski. Uh, am, am I pronouncing that correct? That's Mike? correct. Yes. So, Mike, do you want to um, share any thoughts on this opening sequence? Um, I really came away with two, two pullaways. Um, I was impressed to see a young, skinny uh, Ving Rhames. Yes. Mr. Stereo. Yes. That's That was his name. So he was... Uh, very good. Um, I'm not quite sure, uh, Joe Bomowski would light a candle up against, uh, Mr. Stereo. Um, <laughs> because it, it seems Mr. Stereo was Clubber Lang's little brother. Yes. So, uh, and the other thing was, uh, Joe Bomowski has the greatest aim in the history of movie franchises. I mean, he hits that chain. I don't know how many feet away he is from it, but it looks like it's a pretty fair distance. He snaps that chain in half and, and brings that sign down, so kudos to Joe. <laughs> uh, Jeff Ferry. It's an interesting thing they do. They try to start off with your generic opening action sequence, your little stinger at the beginning. And Stallone is definitely in his early 90 mode at this point. You have like this and uh, Demolition Man, like even a little bit of like a Tango and Cash type thing where he's not He's not in super serious Cobra mode anymore. Like, that's gone now. Yeah. Now everything's got a little bit of a lighter touch to it, particularly this movie. I I didn't like his partner from the beginning. He's not bad, but I felt like he brought nothing to it. Like, he needed to be... Yeah. I would have liked him to be a little stronger. That I think that would have helped, because a couple people that play off Stallone in this movie are a little weaker than I would have liked. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point because the partner really doesn't play any substantial role in this movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, not at all. As a matter of fact, my wife made the comment that Sylvester Stallone's jeans played a bigger role because they were so tight uh, <laughs> instead of the, the his uh, partner. So, yeah. Um, and not to hijack this scene real quick, but Mike, since you brought up the pants, I got to say it's a good thing that you didn't decide to be a um, – uh, a Bill Bamowski uh, impersonator, because I'd imagine some of those clothes are incredibly difficult to get. 
Oh my God! Could you imagine that? Forget about pasta or hot wings. It's it would be like celery, you know. <laughs> it would be like a liquid diet. I mean, there's no way. I mean, oh, but that was the '90s. Everything was a little tighter then, or at least they were for Sylvester. I don't know. Yeah, and some of those shirts just are 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 so so amazing oh. to see. They pop off the screen. That they do. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Ferry, um, if you wanted to wrap up your thoughts on this opening scene. Oh, no, I'll bash the other actors in the movie when we get to them. <laughs> Excellent. And, Captain, um, what are your feelings on the opening sequence of this movie? Same thing. I couldn't stop looking at Ving Rhames because I was <laughs> sure if that was him or not. And then, um, yeah, the, the partner, he seems to me like a poor man's Danny Glover. Like, he's just there. Mm-hmm. Like, they, I don't know. He just didn't seem to be funny or, I don't know. And the opening scene just seemed very, yeah, just very generic. Yeah, yeah. So the next sequence is sort of the the post-bust, um, I guess, celebration in a bar. And this is where we see Joe attempting to call back home to New Jersey, to Newark, to talk to his mom. And um, is this the scene where we see that she sees that he's calling and isn't answering the phone? Yeah, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. But they, it, it's left vague who he's calling. Yes. Because you can't see who's not answering the phone. <laughs> so it's almost like they're trying to make you believe he's trying to call his girlfriend. Right, right. They just show somebody. So here they show somebody just packing bags on a bed. Mm-hmm. And we see the dog at that point, too. Yeah, we, we do. Of course, we see him, you know, pick up, pick up, pick up. And uh, then, of course, you know, he starts the next day, you know, we see Joe Beth Williams, who looks like, you know, a, a school principal. Uh, I just, I don't know. I like Joe Beth Williams. I was always a fan of hers. Loved her in Poltergeist. And I tried to think of any other movie that she was in. And that was it. I couldn't think, and I know she's been in a lot, but I just thought that hairstyle did, did her no favors. And I mean, who would talk like that? I mean, she's his lieutenant. So, I mean, I don't know. I thought it was too far. Yeah, let's talk about that scene, Mike, because I thought overall that was a really at least problematic relationship for me. And I was trying to figure out ways that they could have done it differently. And maybe uh, Jeff Ferry will have some, some input there, but it seemed to me that as a Sergeant, you know, Joe being a Sergeant and and having, uh, you know, the uh, Joe Beth Williams, uh, Gwen character being uh, his Lieutenant um, and, and his girlfriend, it seemed like the, the line between a professional relationship and a personal relationship was really, it, I'm not going to say uncomfortable for me, but it just seemed a, a little weird. Jeff Ferry, did you have any, any thoughts going into that? And, and did you think of any fixes? Uh, I felt like the screenwriters didn't know what to do with it mm-hmm. because they couldn't settle on what the, what exact, not the, what the relationship was, but how they were portraying it to everybody. They could have gone a couple different ways. You could have went with, this is how they started out. Like, okay, we're together and we're hiding it from everybody, but they're not really hiding. Everybody knows it. Yeah. So it was portrayed like that at first and then it kind of wasn't. And then they were out in front. They never quite settled on it and they never gave it enough time to like for you to really care about it. Cause they only drop in on her once or twice and her character is she, I don't know. She's just, I never really buy her as, a cop or her or his boss. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't seem either either one. Like, up. I, I hate to jump to the end. But there's a scene at the end where there's a criminal around and she's there and does nothing. 
And, like, Ugh. I just find that hard to believe that a cop would do nothing. I don't care what you're doing. If something happens and you're a cop, and I assume it's because she's a woman. I mean, I hate to say that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's why. In fairness, she does flash her badge. Yeah, she flashes the badge, and I think she hands Bomowski the, the cuffs to do his thing. Yeah, but she doesn't chase after the guy. Yo, listen, neither does Stallone, because you could clearly see it's a stunt guy yeah. going after the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how lame is that? Rambo can't even run after this guy. What was Stallone, 43, 44? Uh, yeah, that was like um, that was Star Trek, the original series level of stunt acting. Yeah, that was like the the uh, Vulcan grip or, or like Kirk doing the karate chop, you know? Yeah. Now, I, now I'm just thinking out loud here. Do you think, uh, and this would have definitely changed the overall dynamic of the film, but do you think if, if Gwen had been his partner, do you think that would have worked? No. Yeah, like you said, it, it's a different film. I mean, I guess it, you could, he, she could be his boss. Yeah. But then do something with her character. Yeah. yeah. Give her a personality. They just... They didn't go too high or too low. They ran her right down the middle, and that's the problem. Land, they just yeah, every character does that. Every character's right in the middle, right in the pocket. Give them some personality, some quirks. Right, right. Captain, do you have any feelings on uh, the Joe Beth Williams character of Lieutenant Gwen Harper? Honestly, I did not like her. I thought she was – I did not believe her. I did not believe that he actually liked her at all. <laughs> he was just like, that's just somebody he met in a bar, and now he's kind of just like – uh, you know, we work together, so I guess I kind of have to talk to you. <laughs> I, I did not believe at I did not believe at all once that Sylvester Stallone actually liked her. Yeah, yeah. You know what? It's funny watching this movie. She's an integral part of the plot because she really is just a plot device to really create a lot of the the problems that Joe and his mother have. Um, Mike, do you want to um, wrap up any thoughts on on that relationship? Uh, you, no. <laughs> I, there, I got nothing. You guys nailed it. All right, excellent. So now we cut to, um, what, Joe at the airport picking his mother up, correct? <laughs> yeah, then they're all, he's waiting there and he's got his, you know, that, that blazer, that, um, wool blazer, or corduroy blazer, and he's, you know, the girls, the, the, the stewardesses there, they're coming out smiling and, the mother showing the uh, the, the baby pictures. And it, the cool thing was that some of those were the Rocky pictures yes. that we saw in Rocky 1 that, that Stallone, the prop department, had around the edges of the mirror, the, especially that black and white. Yeah, the, the, like the school portrait, that classic shot. Yeah, Craig, exactly. So, so that I always get a kick out of. Um, and the only note I have here for this particular scene Estelle Getty is adorable. I I always liked her, and um, that's what I got. Yeah, I actually I, I really like this sequence. I I like the the execution might not have been been great, and I think some of the dialogue's a little uncomfortable, especially um, one of the uh, stewardesses talking about how he looks better with pants on. <laughs> yeah. You know, referencing looking at baby pictures of him in in a diaper, but. Um, I think the overall idea of a, a guy being embarrassed by his mother, even in his 40s, for me that worked. And and I also do have to agree, the reveal for the Estelle Getty Tootie character was really great because the way Spottiswood um, framed it when, when she first comes up to him, it's looking down at her. And, you know, Stallone's not the biggest guy in the world, but... He really looks like he towers over Estelle Getty, and I'm not sure how tall she is, but throughout this movie, everybody towers over her. Yeah, she's petite. She's she's short. Yeah. 
Jeff Ferry, um, your thoughts on, on this airport sequence? I thought it was a pretty decent introduction to her. I mean, yeah, it's a little rough. He almost has more chemistry with the stewardess than he ever has with Joe Beth Williams for the rest of the movie. <laughs> I, I think that's my alternate is that at the end of the movie, he meets back up with the stewardess and they have a life together. <laughs> and I also like when she's introduced and at the very beginning of her character up until her main twist comes. She's just so like, oh, what can I do for you? What can I do? I'm just she's just so overbearingly nice. Mm hmm. And I'm kind of thinking, if she's like this the whole movie, that's going to drive me insane. <laughs> and thankfully, it's only for about 15 minutes. Right. And she's always nice the rest of the movie, but she makes a turn that shows she's got a hard, I'm from Newark edge. Yeah. Which was pretty nice. And I don't know a whole lot of actresses, probably especially at that time of her age, that could convincingly put that across. Sure. I mean, she did it for 10 years on Golden Girls with like that. That smart-ass attitude. So, like, I totally bought it from her the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, guys, this just in. I just got a phone call from Google. Uh, <laughs> Stel Getty, 4'11". Okay. Wow. <laughs> wow. Tell uh, Mr. Google thank you. <laughs> uh, uh, will do. Will do. <laughs> he may be calling back in, or uh, maybe YouTube may call, so I'll keep the date. <laughs> Great. Uh, Captain Marvelous. I, I loved her. She's, like, the best character in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so the the airport sequence it, it really hit all the right notes for you. Yeah, I thought it was funny because people are laughing, they're coming out giggling and like you know like knowing that it's him, and you know kind of like something is going on, but not exactly what. So it kind of it, it, to me it feels like a movie where where it's like a foreshadowing of like some ominous terror approaching, where like the shark jaws or something. But then you see it's like this sweet little old lady. So to me, it's, it works. It's hilarious. Yeah. And I almost wanted to see the, the short film or, or full-length feature of that flight. I, I think um, that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so now we cut to the drive home from the airport, and we start to get a little bit of insight into the relationship to, between Joe and his mother. And he asks her why she didn't pick up the phone when he called. And she says, you haven't called me in five years. And she was worried that if she answered the phone, he'd tell her not to come visit. Mike, what were your your overall thoughts on, on this car sequence that ends with a little bit of an action beat? Well, you know, I, I don't know what, what officer, after working all day, going to pick up his mother, is going to put himself in another jumper off a building why would he get out and go do it there's lots of police there i don't understand why he decided to take the call but i guess he did um i i don't know the, the whole thing on the ledge didn't work for me i thought it was just too ridiculous it goes from the guy wanting to jump because his mother was giving him a hard time to babowski wanting to jump because his mother's giving a hard time and he's yelling down, secure the microphone. I mean, I don't know. I, it just, it was so stupid. I, I, and again, I don't blame Sylvester. He showed up to work. He did his job. Uh, I mean, I think his acting was better in this than it was in Rocky five. And you guys know I have a special place for Rocky five. So his acting was good or, or, or okay, at least in, in, in this movie or this scene, but there's just no way he's going to get up on that ledge and go nuts. I don't know. 
Yeah, I actually do think that one of the uh, the highlights of this movie for me was Stallone's interaction with um, with Estelle Getty and a lot of the frustration he shows. And in this scene, especially on the ledge, when he shows that frustration and he cusses, which, you know, sort of uh, makes the uh, the jumper a little bit angry. Um, I, I thought a lot of that really worked for me. Jeff Ferry, I guess, take us through the car ride home all the way up through this jumper scene. Well, the jumper scene itself doesn't bother me. It's the transition of how they get to it that makes no sense. Right? <laughs> it's just like, I'm right, driving my mom home and I'm pulling into this for some reason. Yeah. Yep. They could have put some bogus reason in there why it had to be him or he just ran into it. Like, it was just like, oh, mom, do you mind if I stop at this uh, possible suicide on the way home? I mean, I mean, I know why the scene's there. The scene's there because the screenwriter obviously saw Lethal Weapon 2. I mean, that's why the scene's there. <laughs> but instead of a crazy guy going up, you're sending a guy who's having a problem with his mom. Yeah. Captain Marvelous. I actually, this was my favorite scene of the movie. Oh. The way he gets there, yeah, it's iffy. But the whole thing about him trying to stop it, and then it turns out that he's the one that wants to jump. Now that, I, I thought that was just funny. Mm-hmm. It, it, it kind of just, um, to me, it perfectly showed the relationship between him and his mom. Sure, sure. And, and I do have to say that, for me, I, I think the hit-to-miss ratio isn't as high as it was for Oscar for me. And I, and I know it's unfair to, to compare the two movies, but when you do back-to-back comedies, that's going to happen. But but for me, there were quite a few moments of this movie where I laughed, um, even in, embarrassingly, the very last line of the movie. <laughs> but but we'll get there. Well, I think the, the, the way the movie was presented kind of misleads people. Because if you see, like, all the alternate posters and the posters, video covers, it's Estelle Getty with a gun, big machine gun, or her, or the big handgun pointing. So it's, Makes you think like, oh, this is Lethal Weapon, but with, you know, Sophia from Golden Girls. Yeah. So it kind of misleads you there. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it's more like, oh, you know, she's just frustrating this guy who's trying to, who has like the, the life of an action star. And I, I think, I think that's kind of one of the reasons why probably people expected something different and weren't too fond of it. Yeah, and that's funny that we were talking at the beginning of this episode about marketing and how marketing can really shape people's perception of a movie. And the marketing for this film might have done um, or probably did ju- just that. So now, if if I remember correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, the next sequence is um, Joe and Mom at home. Yeah, so the interesting takeaway here, this was a fine scene. I don't have any – and no complaints here – what I what I even loved about this scene, um, and I have to give props to my wife Sue, who she found this uh, before I did. We we all know Leroy Neiman, who he is, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you guys see the Leroy Neiman painting in Bomowski's apartment? Oh no! As soon as he walks in the door, there's a baseball. I I think I, not Roger Maris. Um, who was the other baseball player? The home run king. He, he was the alcoholic. Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle. Yeah. I think it's um Leroy Neiman's Mickey Mantle. It's a big uh it's a full body shot of him hitting a, a home run swing and uh it clearly says at the top I think or the bottom it says Leroy Neiman and I'm like, "Oh, he's got his buddies Leroy Neiman in there." I thought, "Wow, that was pretty cool." So, that was a huge smile moment for me. Yeah, that's a cool little Easter egg. 
Yep. And now I think there's a lot that goes on in this. We have there is uh, there the is. sequence where she she um what she she finds his gun right mm. and she decides to clean it and then she wakes him up by pointing it in his face and says what um go ahead make your bed make your oh, bed oh that's the worst line of the movie <laughs> <laughs> that one's tough uh captain um your thoughts on that line and its delivery it, yeah that was a groaner <laughs> i like dumb humor uh, you know i'm my favorite like, one of my favorite movies is Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Yes, which we've yeah, talked I about. I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, so it goes to show you, like, I I tend to forgive a lot of stuff in a lot of movies. But, yeah, that that one was a groaner. <laughs> uh, that that one, that, that was just a trailer shot. That yeah. was there exclusively so they could put it on the trailer. Right, that is an excellent observation. We get um, uh, Joe in the shower shaving and uh, the mom coming in and embarrassing him and he ends up cutting himself. And then we get the, the breakfast gag, which... Craig, even before that, though, is when when uh, Joe is in bed and he's kneeling in bed, he's got the bikini briefs and the white and he's... Oh, what a creepy, <laughs> horrible shot that was. <laughs> I mean, Sue made me rewind it and I thought she was doing it because she thought Stallone looked sexy in it. She just left. It just was bad. <laughs> like, you know, you would think a guy like Stallone could pull it off, and maybe if it was, like, the specialist part two or something, he could pull it off, but it just was not appropriate on any level to have that in this movie. Uh. <laughs> so I had to I, – I made a note on that, and, it, you know, if you ever need to be shocked back into coherency, watch that scene. It will make you glad you're not in it. <laughs> So then we end up at the breakfast table and mom makes a nice big breakfast for Joe because um, it is the most important meal of the day. And we'll get a, a cool little payoff for that later on that uh, Jeff Ferry alluded to in the opening of the show. And um, Jeff Ferry, are there any any thoughts or feelings you want to share with this at-home sequence? I just desperately hope somebody from Mike's family is listening and buys him a whole box of those bikini briefs. For his, <laughs> they for will be listening and no, see, now you've done it. Jeff. Now you've done it. <laughs> Now the holidays are coming up. You. Thank you. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean it's um it's basically a series of like little vignettes with him and Estelle Getty, and although it only vaguely advances the plot, I mean I guess it really does. The only part that really advances the plot is the gun. Yeah, because then she's. I mean, I guess they're maybe they're more clever than I was giving them credit for, because then that forces her next thing. It's mostly just a series of like, oh, look how difficult his mother is. Doing stuff that honestly, at some point in your life, your own mother probably did to you. Right. Maybe not when you were forty, but <laughs> but anytime it's just the two of them is fine. I mean, they can carry the movie. Mm-hmm. Now, Captain, why do you think Joe was keeping his gun um, in his laundry? Because he just gets home from work, throws his pants in the laundry basket, and picks it up the next day when he wears the same clothes. <laughs> He's a tough guy. He's a tough guy. He don't need to be uh, smelling like detergent. <laughs> or practicing any kind of gun safety. Mike, is there any any <laughs> rationale that you can find about why he would have his gun hidden in between his towels? Well, duh. How else is his mother going to ruin the gun? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> no, none, Craig. None. It was, it was exactly a, a plot device. Uh, to you just for you either forgive it or you don't. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah, that's that's all there is there. Yeah, you figure maybe it was a spare gun in case an intruder or something, but no, it's like his main gun that he takes to work. Yeah, it it just to me it just seems so weird that you would you would drop it there. I you know it doesn't seem like it would be in a convenient location if you're worried about personal safety. Um, yeah, I, I guess Mike you know you know put it best. Um, it was there so his mom could find it and and clean it and ruin the gun. Yep. So I'm I'm not sure. Um, my memory is great here in regards to where we go from here, but I do know that eventually the mother a character ends up buying a, a replacement gun for Joe. But are there any sequences before that, um, Jeff or Mike? Yeah, no, she goes she to had... the, the store, the gun store. Yeah, she and... goes to the gun store. Yeah, okay. And then the guy who was in, who played Toby from the the West Wing. Yeah, Richard, Richard Schiff. Schiff. It's one. Ah, I beat you. <laughs> ah, you guys are good. <laughs> One of his first movies. Um, he he did a handful of movies before this, so uh, early in his career, and uh, I guess uh, you know he can establish it as one of his big breaks. Yeah, absolutely. And so he tells us, Delgetti, you know, uh, or Tootie, it tells her, you know, there's a 15 day cooling off period. So, yeah. anyways, that's when the guy, the biker dude, uh, overhears it and takes her around the corner to a van where they go to buy the gun, and then we see the henchman for. The guy from Cheers who Kirstie Alley was after. Oh, wow. Yeah. Robin uh, Colcord. Robin Colcord. Yes. Yeah, sweet oh. baby, as she used to call him. So oh, his okay. henchmen are trying to kill the two gun runners because they tracked the two hen- and I should, I should preface it by saying the lead henchman of Robin Colcord from Cheers. <laughs> he's the guy that got eaten by the T-Rex. He was the, the lawyer in the Jurassic- lawyer. <laughs> That was a long way to go for that. Sorry. Yeah, and well, also, also was. Are you talking about Martin Ferrero? Yeah, yes. Martin Ferrero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, was also in Oscar. Bonucci. Yeah. So, and uh, one other uh, joke that I kind of liked here, and it might be the fact that uh, I'm from Jersey, is uh, the cab driver goes to drop her off, and I guess the CD area downtown, and he says, "You sure want to? You want to get out here?" And she says, uh, "Give me a break. Uh, you know, I'm from Newark." Um, how did that joke land for you, uh, Mike? That was cute. You know, you, 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 I always liked the, the little old lady who's tough on the streets. You know, it mm-hmm. sort of reminds me of my mother in a way. Yeah. Captain? Yeah, it was fun. It, it, it's like the, it just reminds me of like the Fresh Prince for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, uh, Jeff Ferry. Well, I would say she lives up to it because, Two minutes later, downtown basically turns into, like, a scene from Heat, mm-hmm. and she basically just steps off to the side and watches the whole thing. She gets all the descriptions, the plate numbers, everything. She's cool as a cucumber. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one thing I want to talk about here on this sequence is, so, the two, uh, uh, I guess, gun runners or illegal gun salesmen, um, there's an a, a attempted hit. One of them is is killed, and the other one gets away. So Estelle Getty's character is a, a witness to this. Now, uh, we later see that she ended up purchasing a gun. How did she avoid the police seeing that she had this illegal semi-automatic weapon? Uh, any ideas, Mike? Yeah, uh, totally. Uh, again, this was in a deleted scene. The okay. prop master on the movie set comes over, takes the gun, and then Estelle Getty walks into the police office set. So she doesn't have the gun. Very easy answer. 
You see the gaping continuity holes here, guys. It's sad. Yeah. I don't see it. No, there's no hole there at all. Here, I'll explain it to you. Okay. <laughs> no. Please do. Uh, she's got she's got the gun in like a brown like paper sack. So when the police come to get her, she's a little old lady with a little brown paper sack. They never think to look what's inside of it. <laughs> Boom. Problem solved. Jeff, does that help you sleep at night? <laughs> <laughs> if that works for your brother, God bless. Uh so we now end up back with Joe at the police station and he finds out that his mom's there. Um and he goes to find out why she's there. He asks her why she was downtown. Um and then we get another Joe Beth Williams scene where she comes in and Joe for you know doesn't want to introduce his mother to Gwen. Captain, how did this police station sequence uh land for you? Uh I don't know. If at this point of the movie I kind of just start wanting things to move along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, that that was the thing with this movie. There are some scenes like when like when um Jeff mentioned that it was kind of like short skits of Sylvester Stallone interacting with Estelle Getty. I love that. That was funny. But then then you get to the story and it's like, oh yeah, there's story going on. <laughs> and to me, that's the funny part. Like the jokes with them two work, but then the story drags down the movie. <laughs> very funny, very funny. Um, Mike. Uh, yeah, you know, Captain said it. It just drags it down. It, at this point, actually, my wife was showing me, uh, teaching me crocheting. So <laughs> I really thought, let's see what we could do with these needles. So I don't know. <laughs> And Jeff Ferry. Um, yeah, it's definitely not a great scene. It's uh, You're just trying to get from point A to point B at this point. You don't need to see any more interaction between him and Joe Beth Williams, because I think by now none of us care. Yeah, it's, unlikely, uh, yeah, it's unlikely they're going to have a good scene by this point. Yeah, so I never like, Can we just blow past here? <laughs> Even if there was a love scene, I think we would have fast-forwarded through it. It would have been that bad, you know? Maybe yeah. you would have fast-forwarded through it. <laughs> <laughs> but that stuff in slow motion. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> mm-hmm. no, no, God, now I forgot what I was going to say. Now I'm off track. Uh, oh, uh, I'll, like I'll say, the only saving grace of this movie, and it's another reason why I like this better than Oscar, it's a return to form for a little bit for Stallone, because this movie clocks in at about 87 minutes strong. Yeah. So just when I'm about ready to pull my hair out of the scene, it's mercifully over. Mm-hmm. Imagine if this movie had like another 15 or 20 minutes in it. No, please. You could no. be watching Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> so this is really, I guess, where a lot of the plot really gets into motion, where another detective is assigned to the case, and uh, he has a little bit of a rivalry, maybe, with with Joe. Uh, you establish that they don't like each other, and, and I'm not sure if it's the fact that um, they have a past history together of not liking each other. Or it's the fact that Joe doesn't like the fact that somebody else is working this case. We also learn that Tootie is holding back evidence so Joe can use it and get a much-needed promotion, I guess, to put him on the same level as Gwen. And um, I guess we also learn, as Joe is doing his investigating, that the um, – or I, I, I guess um, – I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um so so let's, let's maybe stop there and and sort of uh get our bearings. Mike, anything you want to you want to hit on on that sequence of events or or the uh, competing uh, detective? Uh the competing detective I I want to say 
he at least made me feel like I wanted to punch him in the head. <laughs> he did his he job. At least I'll I'll give him that. He, yeah. he made me feel it. So that was good. Did we get to the diaper scene yet? Um, I I, I don't think so, but we we can definitely talk about it because um, it's definitely uh, something I never thought I would see in a Sly movie. So at one point here, you know, uh, Bamowski is having a dream. His mother's so intrusive, wrecking his life, he feels from every angle. So he has this dream where he's called to the scene. We only see from the waist up, he's got his blue shirt and tie on. He's waving his gun. Uh, and then the, all of a sudden in the dream sequence, the mother comes out in looking like a typical 1950s mom and says, Joey, it's time for your bath or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I can't take it. And he just starts shooting and camera pulls back to reveal Sylvester is wearing a diaper. A cloth and, diaper. Yes. And at this point, I, I just wrote down, I, I wrote down here that horrible scene. All he has built and accomplished. It, it, he just knocked it. It just Rambo, Rocky. He just knocked the hell out of it. And I just thought, at, at, how of all this pull he has in Hollywood at this point in his career, how does he not get that taken out? I mean, <laughs> he was gonna buy First Blood, but he lets this in. I, I don't understand it. And and I did point out that it was a cloth diaper because um, they cut to the shot of um, of his mom saying she'll change his diaper and she holds up a bag of Huggies, which I thought was interesting. And then we also actually get- I missed that. You're yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good catch. And then we also have Joe Beth Williams saying that she'll change his diaper as well. And I think Ugh, you know this. Creepy. Yeah, the scene was really psychologically, I guess, trying to show what was going on in Joe's head in terms of. You know, uh, the relationship with his mother and, and the relationship of Gwen. And, and I think that from a dramatic standpoint, those dueling relationships could make for an interesting movie in another universe. Um, maybe if Stop or My Mom Will Shoot was a, uh, an art house, um, you know, drama. Jeff, any, any feelings on the dream sequence? You probably could have accomplished the same thing. Without putting your star, your action star, in a diaper. <laughs> what executive could have shown him? allowed that? Seriously. <laughs> I mean, he had the gun in his hand. He just shot a bad guy. They could have cut to the mother, cut back to him, and he could have been holding, like, a rattle or something if you were really needed to push that baby vibe hard. Yeah. The the diaper, it's not even a, I could, I could, I'd be okay with him wearing a diaper if for some reason it was a hilarious sight gag. But again, this is not a movie that has hilarious sight gags, so it makes no sense when it goes to it. Why is he? Why is he a grown man shaving his legs? I don't understand that either. <laughs> Maybe he's a swimmer. Uh, uh, that's that's the deleted, deleted scene. You find out that he was actually a semi-pro swimmer. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll go with that. Uh, Captain, any feelings on this uh, dream sequence and Stallone in a diaper? To me, it seemed like one of those things that Stallone went with it because he said, ah, you know, I want to show my lighter side. I want people to know that I can make fun of myself. So he kind of just said, like, yeah, you keep it in there. It'll be funny for the trailer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he said, oh, what do I have to do for my paycheck? <laughs> okay. Yeah, a lot of this movie seems like it's a lot of trailer shots. Like, this movie should have been just the trailer, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Save yourself the trouble and watch the three-minute trailer. Yeah. It, it is one of those things where it's like if you watch the, the three-minute trailer, you get the best jokes. 
is there really anything else you miss other than him going stop or my mom will shoot or or her saying make your bed you know there's really not much else yeah yeah i want to say something on that that um not the evil cop but the rival cop yes he is he just seems to me like he's trying to be um richard peck from ghostbusters like so bad yeah like he's just like like um I think it was Jeff mentioned earlier they wrote that one scene in because they saw Lethal Weapon. <laughs> I think they wrote that character in because they saw Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> there was definitely a period of time in, in cinema where you needed that a hole character for the audience to really hate. Um, I guess for everybody to be able to get on board with at least agreeing on on one aspect of a of a movie. Um, so, so now we get I guess what really is. Um, the main plot driver here where uh, it's the next morning um, after the nightmare or um, and uh, Joe wakes up and his mother has given him a gift of this illegal uh, firearm, which Joe basically investigates where the gun comes from and sees that it was reported as as what being lost in a warehouse fire. Right, Mike? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then we, you know, we we realize that it was all a, ru- a ruse uh, to collect the money and keep the guns. Yeah. And it's not just like an illegal hanger. It's like a meal Uzi or something. <laughs> yeah, it's a Mac 10. Yeah, it's really a powerful, powerful weapon. And uh, and you wonder why the mom thought that that would be a suitable replacement for the gun that she damaged. And I guess we have a little bit more rival cop interaction that uh, escalates in a bathroom sequence where... The rival cop keeps pushing the fact um, that uh, he's saying some some undesirable things about Joe's mom, and it and it escalates to the point of Joe lifting him up and uh, giving him that old high school bully tactic of uh, your head in the toilet while it's being flushed. And surprisingly, the rival cop was able to scream and yell while his head was submerged in water. Uh, Jeff Ferry, any thoughts on that? He was also able to be lifted up in the air by a man who was seven inches shorter than he was. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm pretty sure if somebody lifted me up and slammed my head into a toilet, and when they let go, once I realized that I had a gun on my hip, things might have gone, you know, very poorly for them after that. Yeah, yeah. But he seems to, like, although he's, he's like, mildly upset about it. Like, he comes out, says something to the lieutenant, she blows him off, and he's like, oh, I'm so mad. <laughs> That's pretty much it. I don't even think you see him again for like the rest of the movie. He's done after that. He's he's a wrap. He can go home. <laughs> Mike. Well, the whole thing I, again. You guys missed this on the uh, deleted scenes. Apparently, the uh, rival cop was a ventriloquist that didn't make it on AGT. So uh, he had to. Uh, That's how he survived. Uh, the toilet gag. Uh, <laughs> I've really got nothing else there. <laughs> uh, very funny. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, I don't know. It just seems very out of place. It just seems too childish. I don't know. It just seems dumb. Like, you know, why would Joe, why wouldn't Joe just punch him in the nose or something instead of, oh, flush your head on the toilet? Because I'm, well, I guess. <laughs> I guess he regressed back to his youth after wearing that diaper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Uh, now I'm not sure if, if I'm staying in the, uh, the linear continuity of this film or not, but we get a sequence. We... The movie staying in the linear continuity. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, Captain. Um, but we have a sequence where I guess, um, we're really getting scenes that are trying to develop this relationship to, between Gwen and Joe. And we see that the mom is really, you know, uh, pushing things along. She gets flowers for Gwen that, that Joe admits are from the mother. Um, he gives her a, a, a speech that really moves her. She says, nobody's ever talked to me like that. And Joe admits that it's, it's a, a line he got from his mom. So uh, I guess, is there any uh, final thoughts, uh, Jeff Ferry on the, um, the relationship that's building between Gwen and Joe that is really being driven by mom? Uh, it just shows you that his character in this movie is a moron. <laughs> because if your mother bought like 50 things of roses for your girlfriend and she was none the wiser and you know mom was going to keep the secret, you shut up and you take it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's a fun story to tell 10 years from now. Like, remember those roses 10 years ago? Yeah, my mom sent those to you. <laughs> you know what? It's not a good story. Right after she just kissed you in front of the entire office. Exactly. That's when it's a horrible time to tell her. Yeah. Mike. Okay, so we slightly glanced over one of the most crucial, important moments in this film. All right, let's go. Okay, so they go to the office. Stallone, uh, Bomowski threatens the head bad guy and says, do I go get a court order or do you give me the address of the warehouse where the supposed guns were? Yeah. So they give him the, they go down there. Him and Tootie go down there. Uh, Estelle Getty, he locks Estelle Getty in the car. Stallone goes in to check things out. Right away, Estelle Getty gets out of the car. Giant wrecking balls come through. He's, the bad guys are there trying to kill them. And what does Stallone yell through the opening of the bricks? Stop or my mom will shoot. Yes. We get, we get the payoff of the line, uh, of the movie title actually being, be, uh, being said. And, uh, I know, uh, me and a friend of mine, we'd have bets when we'd go to the movies together uh, as to whether they'd say the line in the mo- uh, the title of the movie and how far into it. So we'd set an over under as well. So that was a, a great moment in this movie for me. Yeah. And I thought it was funny. I did laugh at, okay, fine. I'll laugh at it if I have to. And then we get one more incredible, incredible aiming shot at Bamowski shooting the chain on the wrecking ball. I mean, Rambo couldn't aim this well or Cobra. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah. And you'd think that they would have maybe made a reference to the fact that he was such a great shot, but I guess this was the, the early nineties and, uh, <laughs> that kind of action movie trope was still, I, I guess, um, acceptable. Yeah. So yeah, we had a lot of, um, you know, key moments that led up to that warehouse scene. Is that also the point, Mike? Is that, is that before or after we have them discovering where, um, uh, Martin Ferrero's character is shaking down the woman. That was before this. That okay. was before. Yeah, before, yes. Yeah. Yes. So I, I guess, unfortunately or fortunately, we blew through a, a lot of plot. <laughs> <laughs> so before we move on, Captain, is there anything um, during that entire sequence that we missed that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, actually, I I really like the scene with Estelle Getty and, uh, and Gwen when they're crying over the letter. Oh yeah, that was a a good sequence. That that's actually the, the first time I felt that there was any that Gwen resembled a human. 
Yeah. Like, actually, I actually believed her and Estelle Getty getting along more than, you know, Stallone being in love with her. Yeah, and, and this is another scene that would have worked really well in that dr- dramatic version of this where, you know, Estelle Getty opens up to Gwen and says that when Joe's father died when he was, what, 13, he t- took care of everything while the mother sort of grieved. And she says he never cried. And he notified the family, he picked out this casket, he put the funeral together, and she says, I'm not sure that he 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 ever did cry. And then Joe comes in, and the scene's almost ruined for me when Gwen breaks out in tears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it comes from a, a, it's like a serious moment where you're getting character background on Stallone, why he is that way. Mm-hmm. Or Joe, not, you know. And then, um, it turns into a comedy bit. Yeah. Mike. Uh, pass. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeff. Um, previous to when they get in and get attacked by the wrecking ball and all that stuff, um, Estelle Getty's locked in the car, and she uses the radio to call. She's called a dispatcher. And for once, her talking to everybody and knowing everybody actually pans out for her because the guy tells her how to escape Right. Out of the handcuffs to get inside the place. <laughs> so it was nice that the setup of everybody talks to her and everybody likes her actually came back to help her at some point. Mm-hmm. So now I guess we're really heading to the end of this movie and we have the, the sequence where, uh, the, the, the main villain, the, uh, the, the dude from Cheers, um, has this plan to make it look like they all committed suicide, um, so they can disappear without being pursued. Poor Martin Ferrero. Um, curiosity gets the best of him as he sees his boss looking out the window after he signs his suicide note, and he is pushed out of the window. We then get what um, Sly and and Mom returning home, and they notice that um, the house has been broken into, and we have um, that gag where we get the frying pan hit on the goon. Um, and we see that it was, it was mom and, and not Joe. Mike, anything you want to talk through at this point? Um, other than there's a reason that they have a thing called back of the closet. This is where most of Stallone's shirts for this movie came from. <laughs> and this is where they should go back. He's sitting there with some type of a silk shirt uh, that uh, I don't – I mean, if he threw up on it, it would blend. So I, I just uh, – no, God, I d- – next. <laughs> All right, Jeff Ferry. Yeah, again, like we're, we're like blasted through right here. I'll tell you one thing that's it's very odd about this movie. You were talking about, oh, the villain comes up with his little thing right here. Yeah, does he? Because he had like a minute and a half of screen time up to this point. <laughs> We're an hour in, and at best, you have the vaguest idea that I guess this guy owned a warehouse where these guns came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't show up till thirty minutes in, and then he's in a one minute long scene. You see his goons way more than him, which is fine. But you know, I, I'm not that I needed like a twenty minute villain subplot. But hey, how about just the barest idea of what the hell he's doing? Because even at the end, like when he pushes far out at the thing, like I, I'm like, okay, I, I guess you have a, this makes no sense what you're doing, and it's not <laughs> the actor's fault. I think that guy's a solid actor. Yeah. It, it, oh, yeah. Nothing. How we talked about some of the other characters didn't get much. This guy got nothing. This guy had less screen time than the a hole partner at the police station. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and there True. really was no development for the villain. There was really nothing about him that made you even 
like the fact that he was a villain. You know, a lot of times people, you know, they'll get on board with rooting for the bad guy. I mean, here there was no substance to it. There was nothing to get on board with. So excellent point there, Jeff. So we get the, um, the, the goon is, is, um, taken down and I guess he delivers the, the information we need to get us to the climax of this film. And Joe, um, handcuffs his mom and the goon together as he rushes off to, uh, to the climax of the film. And then we see, um, the mom, uh, soaping her, her wrist. And she tells a story about how she used this when, when Joe got in a tight spot when he was a kid, she gets out of the handcuffs. And then we get another frying pan gag before she leaves the house. Captain, anything you want to talk about with that, um, with that sequence? Um, not really. I mean, the, her between, just the interaction between her and the gooner, it's okay. It's funny. But yeah, I, I just wanted to say on those villains, how you pointed out how they're so weak. I think this story would have been much better if the villain would have been somebody that was just like Stallone. You know, some guy that actually would feel threatening instead of guys that you could, you would believe that Stel Getty could defeat these bad guys without Stallone's help. <laughs> <laughs> she could have solved this case on her own without, you know, any of Stallone's help. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, it's, it, at this point, the movie is just getting to, it's rushing to get to that last part. Mm-hmm. Now, I do, I do think in the, in the rush to get where we're going, I, I think there's, um, at least for Stallone fans, uh, you know, an exciting moment where we have him playing chicken with the plane where his mom shows up at the, uh, the end sequence and she, uh, gets apprehended for lack of a better word. And then it really becomes Sly racing to save his mom. Mike, do you want to take us through the sequence? Uh, yeah, uh, here's the thing. Uh, here's exactly what my notes say. Propellers, chopping truck, question mark, question mark, question mark, OMG. <laughs> okay, so uh, here Stallone brings back the, uh, it's revenge of the tight jeans again. He's, um, you know, running around. He, he realizes that there's a key hidden in the truck. I don't know how he knows there's a key hidden in this 18 wheeler cab here. He takes it goes kind of draws like you said plays chicken with the truck that the propellers are tearing up the engine block on this yet the truck keeps going how i mean guys i believe christopher reed fly i believe darth vader's lightsaber all right i mean i even believe rambo can take on the vietnamese and russian army and win i cannot and i refuse to believe a propeller a propeller will destroy this truck and it will keep moving. I'm sorry. I draw the line. <laughs> I'm sorry. So uh, that uh, gets all as uh, Stallone saves. He stops the plane there. They come back into the hangar and uh dude from cheers. How bad is that? We don't even know the dude's name. Um, dude from cheers has a gun. Uh, he's holding Estelle Getty and holds the gun on Bobowski. I don't know. You guys take it from there. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I, I think the, the, the payoff of where we do get the mom shooting, um, for me, it works. And, um, it really shows that hardness that she had and, you know, the toughness she had. Um, and also the fact that she really, at the end of the day, wants to protect her son. True. Jeff Ferry, do you want to take us through this whole long sequence that Mike just ran us through? Well, you know, the plane thing is a means to an end. 
Uh, I don't really remember getting hit by the propellers. I just remember him crashing into the uh, tire of the plane. But uh, even, even I, my mind was probably already racing towards the end of the film, desperately hoping it would end soon. <laughs> uh, the one thing that made me laugh is she ha- she takes the gun off the the big biker guy that she had. Um, that's a forty four Magnum Colt Anaconda that she shoots. Okay. Um, there is no world in which she's still standing after she shoots that gun. <laughs> True. I was hoping when she fired it, she was going to fly, like, comically ten feet back. Yeah, it's funny. That was one of my thoughts when I watched that sequence is I'm like, wow, there was no kickback on that gun. Yeah, it was like she fired, a, like, a, a BB gun. Yeah. Captain. Yeah, I thought it was a, you know, for this movie, that was a fine ending. And to me, a lot of the action, when they try to go into... We're going to turn into an action movie all of a sudden. It, it reminds me a lot of the movie Last Action Hero. Okay. Like that same type of style where I don't know if they're trying to do a satire on it, but if they are, it's not far enough. Mm-hmm. Like he said, you know, the engine is getting chopped up by this airplane. It's like, yeah, all right. <laughs> but I guess this, this is just what happens in action movies, so we'll go with it. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I'm not sure if this is the proper place to have this discussion or not, Mike, but do you have any any thoughts on the the really need that Sly and Arnold both had to really branch out from their core audience? Do you think it was the idea of really trying to sustain your career as long as you can and, and sort of opening up that def- demographic is the best way to do that? You know what? That's really interesting. The cynic in me says they want a paycheck. Um, I believe Arnold wants the paycheck and he'll do whatever. Mm-hmm. I think Stallone, he would, you know, shortly after this, Stallone was going through money problems. You know, I, I remember he told a story, um, right around this time, maybe give or take, uh, three or four years in the future, he went to buy a piece of art and he didn't have enough money in his bank account to, to buy the, the art. So that's when he started taking these, these, um, paycheck movies. Now, it, I also believe that Sly, wanted to explore his comic side. I do. I, I I totally give him credit on it. I think it took a lot of courage, and I know I've been really hard on this movie, but at the end of the day, it's a little bit about a check, and I think it's also Sly is an actor, and actors don't want to get pigeonholed. Look at James Gandolfini yeah. or Alec Guinness. You know, James never wanted to be called Tony Soprano. Alec Guinness hated Obi-Wan Kenobi, the role which he's most beloved for. So these guys want to go out and be, they want to do a little bit of everything. So I suppose, I think you have something there with at least Sly. I do believe he wanted to try comedy mm-hmm. and be successful at it. Yeah. I think that's a, a fair assessment of, of the situation. So, Jeff Ferry, is there anything you wanted to hit um, before we get to the sort of uh, tag for this movie? I think it just proves that uh, I mean, Stallone has the chops to do these comedy movies, but uh, you're only as good as the material. And this material is not great. He's a fine actor. I mean, I actually think Estelle Getty's probably the best actor in this film. Mm-hmm. And... But that's it. They're the only two that are like, if, if you're grading people out from A to F, they're the only two A's in this film. Yeah. Everybody else is lucky if they pass. Yeah. And, and I think you make a good point in the sense that a lot of times it might not have been the actor, it might have been the material. 
Yeah, it didn't matter who was in this. You could put Lawrence Olivier in here. You can <laughs> you can resurrect some people. It's not going to matter. Uh, all right, Captain. Before we get to the big airport tag, any uh, thoughts or feelings uh, that we didn't hit yet? Uh, to me, I think it's like um, I think Mike said that the Golden Girls crowd saved this movie. Yeah. But to me, it's like Estelle Getty wasn't Sophia enough. Mm-hmm. It seemed like a like a tamed down version of Sophia. <laughs> and that kind of because uh, like, you know you go in expecting this character who's just like a a Weisenheimer and she doesn't take crap from anybody, but she's you know she obviously it's not the same character, but she's a little sweeter, and she only kind of talks trash to people when they when they um like insult her son or when the you know when they're put standing up against her son then she'll stand up for him. Mm-hmm. Whereas Sophia was kind of just like. She was a cynic to everybody. So I think that was a, one of the reasons this movie kind of falls flat. You don't really get that character you want. And Stallone, is, you know, his, he's just reacting to everything she's doing. So it kind of, he kind of falls a little bit flat because of that. Yeah, I definitely have to sort of agree with you there, uh, Captain, in the sense that I, I think that in terms of missed opportunities, this movie did sort of, possibly missed the mark in terms of what it was probably pitched as. And I think they could have hit a lot more of those, those points that would have made it um, really, you know, work a little bit better as a comedy. Now we end the film on a really groan inducing moment that uh, I, I, I do have to say, uh, I, I did say earlier in the episode that it did make me laugh and I was embarrassed to laugh at it because it is grown inducing there. They're at the airport sending the mother home. Gwen and Joe are now engaged. And as they're going through security, Tootie notices that there is a suspicious guy in the airport for some reason. She says she recognizes him from America's most wanted. Joe and, and Gwen brush this off. The guy, for some reason, after, um, Tootie calls him out, he pulls a gun in the airport. Have no idea what this guy's intentions were. He's tackled by the, uh, the embarrassing stunt double. And then we get the line from, uh, the mom where she says, I remember what he was wanted for. He shot his mom. <laughs> Mike, I, I know you've battled to get through this movie with us. Um, I can now tell you that we are, are done getting there. Um, do you want to do a, a postmortem on, on that sequence? You know, I forgot that t- we're under this misconception that Sylvester had done all these great stunts because of, you know, what he had done the, in the last couple of movies with Rambo fighting again in Rocky Balboa and then the Steve Austin thing there with the, the broken neck and the expendables, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and he did do those stunts and he did many of those stunts throughout his entire career. Yeah. So, you know, he was still very agile and, and he wasn't near the amount of pain, uh, had, had, a, had built up in him. So I wonder such a horrible shot when Stallone sees the daily on that. He says, are you serious? <laughs> are you kidding me? You know, he goes, that's not my back. That's not my hair. He goes, you can clearly see the guy is about three inches shorter than me. He said, why, why will we have this? I, I just, I don't get that. It's so offensive to me. It's even worse than the diaper scene. But, <laughs> but, 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 you know, yeah, I guess it's a good scene. Sure. <laughs> All right. Um, Jeff Ferry. Yeah. I mean, it's a, 
when when that happened, all I could think of was the scene from Spaceballs where they're like, "You idiots, you captured their stunt doubles." <laughs> yeah. Nice. Here's how this movie should have ended. I'll save them. Uh, I'll save them a couple bucks too, because I'm gonna save them a whole scene. <laughs> you could cut the whole airport scene. Last shot of the movie. She shoots the bad guy. She blows at the end of the gun. She gives her one-liner. It cuts to Stallone. He makes a face. Credits. Yes. We did not need this little tag at the end at all. But then how would we get the payoff that Gwen and Joe ended up together? Yeah, I was hoping she was lost in a tragic fire before <laughs> this. And, uh, and he somehow, could go find one of them stewardesses or something. S- somehow the bullet that Estelle Getty shoots at the end ricochets <laughs> like seven miles and shoots Gwen. <laughs> And and comes by and hits the 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 competing cop there and just ends the movie on like this you know Angelina Jolie shoot the bullet around the pig scene you know I mean I, I don't know I don't know uh, Captain well technically shouldn't she like still Getty be in prison because she was withholding evidence <laughs> like the lead detective on the case. Oh, now you're really picking apart the movie. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I thought I brought some logic into this. <laughs> so maybe the movie could have ended with Estelle Getty going to prison. <laughs> we could have had like a sequel where she's like interacting with all the cellmates. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> yes. Oh, I agree. I totally agree with with Jeff. Though that scene, that airport scene, was they needed to pad out that running time. Yeah. Yeah. And, Captain, I do have a title for your proposed sequel. Do you want to try and guess what it is? Uh, well, no, I won't even guess. <laughs> Stop or my mom will shank you. <laughs> oh, I, I, I apologize for that, guys. <laughs> so, all right, I think we've covered our feelings on this movie, but I guess, Jeff Ferry, any final thoughts you want to uh, – share about stop or my mom will shoot before we put it to bed um it's it's only 87 minutes it's not terrible i mean uh if you're just looking at stallone he's i mean he's fine in it he gives a good performance in a horrible script Mm -hmm. if you were going to line up all the stallone movies you were going to watch from best to worst it's definitely in that lower end it's certainly not at the bottom (laughs) there are some real some real winners down there at the bottom, but like, it's definitely that next tier up, though. Yeah, yeah. Now, Mike, um, I'm going to give you your opportunity to have your your final word on this movie, but also I know on Facebook you teased where this movie sat in Stallone's filmography. Do you want to uh, share your ranking with us after you share your final thoughts? Um, yes. <laughs> There's actually a scene in the Deer Hunter where they play Russian roulette, which is arguably one of the greatest scenes. Incredibly of all. intense. Yeah. Yes. Get him out. Get him out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, De Niro goes through the range of emotions, crying and screaming and everything. I mean, it's just, it's this insane. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie has none of that on any level. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this movie, this movie is not even the bullet in the chamber of the Russian roulette gun. Yeah. Uh, um, Listen, we've said it all. We've probably said too much about this movie, but I will say this movie ranks absolutely, without a doubt, dead last in Stallone's 
entire filmography for me. This is including his softcore porn. This is including <laughs> that movie he made with, uh, the, who, who's his director friend that he went to college with? Um, they did the Reach Me. What's his name? Oh, oh yeah. I'm, come on. It's killing me. I know him. Yeah. And anyways, um, it, it hurts felt. Yes. Yeah, it, it, they did that cowboy and Indian movie thing. I saw bits and pieces of this. I'm telling you guys, I will take a hundred rhinestones and three Oscars uh, over over this any day of the week. But that's just me. Yeah. Okay. And before we get Captain's final thoughts on the film, I guess since you mentioned where it sits for you, Mike, uh, let's get Sly's um, final word on this film. He did a an interview for Ain't It Cool News a couple years ago, which we've actually referenced, and it, it, it's really a great interview. And I I should probably link to that entire interview because uh, is that the one with all the questions? Yeah. It was is basically a listener driven question and answer session where Sly shared some incredible incredible um details about his career but in terms of this movie he said it was the worst film he ever did and he then said it was maybe one of the worst films in the entire solar system including alien productions we've never seen he said uh, a flatworm could write a better script and in some countries china i believe uh running the movie once a week on government television has lowered the birth rate to zero if they ran it twice a week, I believe in 20 years, China would be extinct. <laughs> yeah, well, clearly he's a smart guy. Yeah, so again, another case of, uh, Stallone. I guess, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure second guessing his, his, uh, his decisions here is the right word, but, but sort of apologizing for a, a movie that he, he was well paid for. Um, Captain Marvelous, final thoughts on Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. It's not, obviously the best movie of anything, whether it's his filmography or even like the jerk cops filmography. And it, to me, it's, it's fun. It's just a fun nineties movie. You know, if you're bored on a Saturday, throw it on and watch it. I, I see no harm from this movie. That's, that's what I could say. It's not a movie where, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not the super, super fan like you guys are. Mm-hmm. I can watch this movie without getting angry. <laughs> God bless you, my friend. God bless you. <laughs> so to me, it's like it—it it, it does no harm. It—it it, it, it does kind of what it set out to do. We had, you know, it did hit a lot of wrong turns, but it got to where it was trying to go. I guess. Yeah, I, I hear you. I think harmless is a good word, Captain. And for me, um, this movie wasn't unwatchable. And for me, um, that at least saved the movie for me. And, and as Jeff alluded to, um, it's short enough to not really be, uh, incredibly offensive. And, and Mike, I think you, you probably have one final word. Uh, as far as the movie goes? Yeah, yeah. It, it seemed like you wanted to chime in. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I just wanted to tell you guys that I had two and a half bottles of Mylanta to get through the last half hour of this movie. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. It was, it was just so good. At one point, guys, I literally paused it to see how much time was left in the movie because I just, I wanted to watch the news. I never watched the nightly news. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I just, I could not. It was a tough one to get through. All right, all right. So before we we uh, we say our goodbyes, we're just going to cut to a quick discussion that I had with Jeff Hewlett about this movie. Stop. Or my mom will shoot. 
All right. So, Jeff Hewlett, we are here. You were pulled away at the last minute when we were sitting down to record the other night. But we are very happy to have you here. And uh, we already said it once, but we'll say it again. Uh, happy, I guess, at this point, belated birthday. But uh, welcome back to the Slycast. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, sorry, everybody out there. I was uh, fully intending to attend the recording the other night, but uh, was surprised by a... A uh, last minute kind of birthday surprise gathering that uh, my fiance pulled together for me that uh, I didn't know about at a time because of course it was a surprise. So I, I unfortunately could not attend and I, I was uh, very regretful. So uh, I'm glad that we were able to loop back together and, and record a little bit so that I could appear on this episode. Yeah, there was some offline chatter that perhaps you were were trying to uh, sneak your way out of this discussion, and and we weren't going to let you do that. <laughs> no, I'm listen. All right, I'm going to hold my uh, my comments until we get into the discussion. But the last thing I wanted to do was sneak out. Oh, right. So in our overall discussion, the movie um, took a a lot of hits, you know, rightfully so in, mm-hmm. in a lot of areas, and Mike was probably the most critical of this movie, which oh. um, was a little bit surprising. Now, overall, how does this movie work for you? So that's that's great. I, I, I'm i surprised to hear that Mike was so critical. Uh, the movie, to me, is, is pretty heavy-handed with the concept uh, of the overbearing mom. I think they really – they drive that point home far too often through the film, but there are some really great moments within it. You know, I'm a huge Estelle Getty fan, so I I have to give the movie a little bit of a pass because she's just really fun to watch in the film. And, and Sly, you can tell there's some, there's a lot of moments in there where he's, he's a bit on the awkward side, but there are some, some good shining moments. There are a couple of laughs, but not nearly as many as there could have been. I, I think I feel very similarly to Oscar. Yeah. With this film, like there's, there are some, so many potentials, so many opportunities for more laughs that just didn't get delivered. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, one thing that was pointed out was that really this movie had Estelle Getty and the Golden Girls to thank for it because yeah. we couldn't really imagine a universe where this movie happened without that Estelle Getty character sort of being the catalyst. Absolutely. I, I was going to get a little bit more into that had I been part of the initial conversation. But I think Estelle's character in this movie shines through. You know, there are so many jokes at her expense in this film, uh, you know, from Sly and, and from general general goings on in the film. But she stays very true to that character. And she I don't think she really overdoes it. Uh, there are a lot of other characters in this movie, both major and minor, that kind of overplay their roles a bit. But I think Estelle feels the most natural in this film. Yeah, I mean, she really just seemed like a mother who really, really, really cared about about her son. Um, one character that we were all kind of critical of was the one that Joe Beth Williams played, uh, the lieutenant uh, slash girlfriend. And really, we came to the conclusion that she was really just a plot catalyst. Um, there really was no meat to that character. And it was really just a person to throw in there to create situations between Sly and Estelle. Uh, any thoughts or feelings there? I would 100% agree with that assessment there. As, as far as the context and the storyline of the film, 
she plays no role in the central story whatsoever. I mean, the, the, the crime drama portion of this film. She's really only there, as you said, to facilitate awkward situations between Sly and his mother. And also some heartwarming moments uh, throughout the film to re- not only to uh, redeem the Sly character, but to prove unequivocally uh, his mother's love for him. So uh, her interference, which seems, you know, an overbearing at the start, it really winds up proving her true intentions for, you know, all the best for her son. So it, that character probably could have been omitted completely from the movie and we wouldn't have missed it. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I guess if you want to play the heartwarming angle, it may have been necessary in that respect. Yeah. And another thing that we kind of touched on and, and really jumped out to me was that this movie had a couple of moments tonally, which you kind of just referenced where it seemed like this movie, if they had made a couple of tweaks could have been a, a flat out drama, especially the moment where we have, you know, the mom and the girlfriend going through the picture album and talking about what happened when his father died and how he put everything together and he never really cried. And that's a moment that really it's got a terrible payoff with the Joe Beth Williams character crying when he comes in. But it really had no payoff in the overall arc of the movie. It really seemed like there were a couple of missed opportunities to add some weight to the movie. I'm not sure if it would have made it better or, or made it worse, but it seemed like a missed opportunity. You know, I, I think that lends itself to the com- the movie's overall confused identity. Mm-hmm. It wants to be a comedy, and I, I feel that it was intended to be a comedy, but there are moments where it flirts with being more than that. But it doesn't quite get there. And I think that's kind of what you're you're getting at, where we, we've got these quasi-heartwarming moments especially revealing that that Sly is uh, withholding his true feelings about his father and his death. And, and there, there could have been so much more character development there. And it's almost a throwaway moment, but there's a couple brief little vignettes within the film that feel like they want to go to a different place other than comedy. Yeah, yeah. So looking at the movie overall, were there any sequences that really jumped out at you as being – I'm not sure exceptional is the right word, but memorable moments in the film for you. I think that there was a, there was a moment where Sly is in the office with the, the Gwen character and he's kind of, he's, he's kind of going off on her. And that to me felt like a really great Sly moment that kind of drew from other performances that he's had it almost felt like he was bringing his great a game into that one specific moment in the film whereas a lot of the other moments where uh, you know he's just doing the the comedy didn't really feel like we were getting his best so that that i think was the probably the pinnacle moment as far as sly's acting Mm -hmm. uh, in the film to me i'm 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 not i don't remember exactly where that fell but there was kind of a fight scene uh, a dramatic uh, emotional scene between between his character and the Gwen character. Right. Other than that, I I don't think there were any real standout moments to me. I mean, a couple of other weird observations about this film. For some reason, I hadn't seen this movie in a long, long time. I I'd seen it 
around the time that it had come out on cable. Right. But I hadn't watched it in many, 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 many years. And when I started the movie up, I don't know if this came up in the conversation. Forgive me if it did. But during the that brief opening credit sequence, the music that was playing almost made me feel like I was watching Predator 2. <laughs> okay, no, we we didn't hit on that. Um, but you know what? Uh, that's interesting because we did talk about composer Alan Silvestri. And mm. if I'm not mistaken, I think he did the music for for Predator. Um, there you go. Let me let me just pull that up real quick and 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 double check. Um, music by Alan Silvestri. Yes. So um, he he maybe uh, recycled the theme or just. Um, some of his stylistic touches were there. That's, um, definitely something, uh, I'll listen for, um, when I, when I go back and watch the movie again. Yeah, it had some of that kind of 90s steel drum yes. <laughs> feel to it. And I'm thinking, am I watching the right movie here? Is this, <laughs> am I going to see Danny Glover in a second? <laughs> but yeah, it was very, very weird. And you know, this is a, the, the second sly comedy with an animated intro. Yeah, I thought that was really, really interesting. And, um, not sure. Um, I, I guess maybe if, if we really looked at a lot of the films from that period, maybe there were a lot more of those animated intros than we were. Yeah, remember. was that a trend? Yeah. Might have been. Yeah, yeah. It just seemed really odd to me that we have, we're, we're in the second sly comedy film. And I mean, it wasn't as elaborate no. as the Oscar intro by any means. But still, here we are again with another animated intro. Yeah, yeah. So I guess just to wrap up a little bit of what we talked about, and I had said that Mike was really critical of this. Mike really lumped this in with, I guess, the 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 heyday of the Sylvester Stallone paycheck movie, where he mm-hmm. really thought this was probably um, Sly at his most lost and just really looking to to get that paycheck, much like Arnold was at that time. Yeah, and I, I think this lends itself a lot to that recent article that I think, I think you must have, you might have posted to the Slycast page mm-hmm. where Sly w- was talking about how Arnold kind of almost forced him to take these roles. Yes. In this time period in his life where, you know, he had kind of gone through the motions of doing his franchise flicks and he was getting typecast and he wanted to change, but you know, where do you go from there? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, he kind of, you know, people are probably offering him script after script after script and, you know, the money is there and people want him in, in movies and he's like, you know, I want to branch out and try something different. And at the risk of being branded a, a sly fanboy, which I obviously am. Yeah. You know, I'll defend his choices because, you know, you, you want to branch out and you want to do something a little bit different. You want to try, test the waters and, you know, maybe he's not the greatest comedic actor in the world, but maybe he thought he had a chance in it. Maybe he thought, you know, if Arnold can pull it off, maybe I can pull it off too. So, you know, I can't, I can't fault him for trying. And if people are willing to pay him to give it a shot, you know, why not? Yeah. And, and that was really something we sort of hit on in our discussion, which is, I think it's sort of like that concept of, you know, follow the puck in hockey, they mm-hmm. say. And it's one of those things where we kind of talked about the idea that, Sly and Arnold were at points in their career where they were really probably looking to expand that demographic away from that core action base, you know, realizing that in order to have a long career in Hollywood, you know, you have to reach as many eyes as you can. Absolutely. And, you know, you look at a lot of great Hollywood actors and actresses and they're, they're pretty diverse. They're able to fit many different roles. And, you know, I, 
I think that Sly is a much more versatile actor than Schwarzenegger. Oh, hands down, yeah. Was. And I think that, but strangely enough, Schwarzenegger's comedic ability seemed to be a little bit better than Sly's were. That's probably a controversial thing to say on the Sly cast, and I'm not slighting Sly at all by saying that. But I think the Schwarzenegger, if you look at Schwarzenegger's comedies, they're a little bit better remembered than Sly's attempts. Yeah, I, I think that's two things. I think the writing uh, overall that's true. Was, was much better on those those Arnold comedies. But also, Arnold had the voice and yes. the accent. And a lot of the comedy just resulted from the accent, Then, but also a giant, you know, doing funny things. Like, if you look at a lot of the gags in Kindergarten Cop, for example, true. those are all based on this giant of a man interacting with these tiny children. True, and, and similar with twins. Yes, with Danny DeVito, yeah. Very, very similar. Uh, you know, the the it was a lot about his... Uh, his innocence and his accent and his brute size. Mm-hmm. So no, and I think maybe that gave him the advantage in the comedic roles over Sly and, and, you know, the writing notwithstanding, um, you know, it, I, I'm kind of glad that Sly started to deviate away from comedy yeah. after this and get back into more serious movies. Yeah. Yeah. And, and before we talk about the next block of films we're going to be doing, are there any final thoughts or words you have on uh, stop or my mom will shoot? Well, as I said before, I'm, I'm a huge Estelle Getty fan. So I will defend the movie from that standpoint. Uh, is it, is it a great, great movie in Sly's catalog? Definitely not. It's, it's probably pretty forgettable, but then again, it's, it's a, it's kind of a nineties time capsule in a way. And it's definitely worth watching, in in my opinion. There are some very good sly moments in there. When you get into some of the more action scenes, and of course, some there are some dr- more dramatic scenes where he get, delivers a good performance. And I think Estelle's performance through the entire movie uh, is very, very, very solid. So if you're a fan of the Golden Girls, which I hope most of you are, you know, it's definitely worth taking a moment to watch this flick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so um, there are uh, Jeff Hewlett's thoughts on Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. And looking ahead to next episode, Jeff, we are going to be sort of uh, hitting that return to form for Sly. And I know I'm really excited to talk about this film, but we'll be talking about Cliffhanger. Oh, my God. I'm a huge Cliffhanger fan. So excited about talking about the show. I think John Lithgow makes a fantastic villain. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, as a, as a, as a villain to Sly, you wouldn't think that John Lithgow was an ideal villain, but I think that it, that the way that the movie plays out, I think it's fantastic. I cannot wait to talk about it. So I'm going to edit myself here before I get too much into it. But I think this is going to be another spectacular Sly cast discussion. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So that'll be next episode. And, uh, Jeff, um, I'm glad you were able to, uh, to find some time here for us to, uh, to get you on board with this episode and we will see you next time. All right. Thanks for dialing me in and, uh, thanks for everybody for listening. I look forward to being on the next episode. Go ahead. Make your bed. Okay. So that was Jeff's feelings on the movie. And, um, I got to say that I was excited to at least get past Topper. My mom will shoot because I think we're getting to a sequence of films that I am very anxious to talk about. And next episode, in addition to um, our Creed reaction, some listener feedback, 
and um, I guess some other treats in the uh, the introduction. We are going to sit down and we are going to discuss 1993's Cliffhanger. So, uh, Mike, uh, we will see you next month, and I know uh, that you probably have a, a, a really uh, busy month coming up with uh, with the documentary, uh, with the the Rocky to Creed documentary, and of course Creed in theaters. Is there anything going out with the uh, going on with the Creed theatrical release that you have going on in terms of um, um, how you're going to be viewing the movie? Well, yeah, um, you know, it's going to be the 25th. It'll just be me and my wife. Then it'll be me, uh, then me, then me, then <laughs> I will be, uh, th- there's a little party going on at Philadelphia and I think I got invited to, so I think I'm going to do that. Uh, that's on the 29th and, um, I'm just, I'm excited to see this thing on epics on, uh, it's actually Wednesday, November 18th at 8 PM, uh, just to be a little more clear on it. I just checked it real quick. All right, excellent. Yeah, and and uh maybe uh if if um if I can I'll include details on how to sign up for that that trial that will allow everybody to watch it and then um hopefully we can have a a, a nice discussion about it uh prior to uh to next month. Jeff Ferry, so um I guess we will see you next month and um ideally you're seeing Creed um within its first week. That is the plan. All right. All right, excellent. And uh, Captain Marvelous, thank you so much for sitting down and being uh, another special guest here. Um, you are uh, one of an elite few who, who has had the uh, the honor and the privilege of, of sitting down to uh, to chat on the Slycast with us. So uh, I know that we will probably join you again when we get to Judge Dredd, I hope. Yeah, I'm, if, you know, listeners who know me know I'm a huge comic book nerd. I really look forward to talking about that one. Excellent. And, you know, I, I want to say I want to thank you guys for the show because, as I said, I'm not the super Stallone fan, but listening to your show and your episodes, I love that insight that I never had before, and it makes me go back and watch these movies. And sometimes it's these movies that I have never watched. I actually just saw Rambo for the first time about a month ago. Yeah, First Blood. I remember you texted yeah, me about that. that. Awesome. I that movie was. Great. I never expected it to be like the way it was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Captain. And, and I got to say that one of the, the things that we really set out to do with this show is really sort of uh, expose, you know, the, the great uh, filmography that Sly does have. And you're going to have clunkers like Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. But overall, you know, um, when celebrating his career, um, it's so great to see that we're exposing uh, people uh, to movies that they're going to go back and and search out. So uh, it, it means a lot to us that that um, that our shows, you know, sort of hit you like that because that has definitely been our intention. So uh, yeah, I mean, for example, Rocky Five is that one movie where I remember it coming out. I saw it. I really didn't. I wasn't like a big fan of it. And it, I kind of just grew into that mob mentality of, oh, it's the worst one. It's it's horrible. It, you know, it sucks, but never really had any reason. Because you ask people, why does it suck? It's like, because it does. <laughs> you know, I heard your podcast. I watch it again. And, yeah, it's not the best of the Rocky movies, but I can see the good in it now. Yeah, yeah. And, and I have fun watching it and then listening to your show or listening to your show and then watching it and looking for things like – um in one of the Rocky movies, when you guys pointed out how when they move into the neighborhood, everyone is aiming their their gigantic 1980s video cameras at the windows because Sylvester Stallone's moving into the neighborhood. Yes. Yeah. 
Oh, that wasn't planned. You know, I don't notice these things. Now I'm looking at it like, hey, that guy at the window has a camera, and there's little red lights everywhere. Very cool. I'm, I'm glad that you've responded to this show in such a positive manner. And, uh, it was, uh, it was awesome sitting down and chatting with you. And like I said, we, we look forward to the Judge Dredd discussion. And if you, um, if you want more of Captain Marvelous, please listen and subscribe to Save by the Podcast. Even if you're not a Save by the Bell fan, I think you'll find, um, a lot of humor in that show. And I know it's a show that I really enjoy. So, uh, Captain, uh, once again, thank you. Thank you. All right, and we will see you next time on Slycast, the Sylvester Stallone fan podcast.